Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I'm joined by two wonderful guests. First, a Ph.D. historian in the Church History Department specializing in women's history, Kate Holbrook. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Ben. And joining us again, our friend Sarah Eyring. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Sarah has recently read Saints Volume 1 and will be sharing her thoughts and questions in our episode today. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about chapters 22 through 25 of Saints. This is a pretty amazing part of the history of our church, some pretty difficult things going on, and some things that I think some of our listeners probably haven't heard about before. Kate, maybe you could set the scene for us. What's happening in Kirtland and Missouri uh, and, and specifically with the finances of the church, kind of what's going on at this point? Financially, it's a really difficult period for the church. Joseph Smith and others were constantly thinking, we need to build the kingdom of God. How do we, how do we get money to finance the building of the kingdom of God? Because these things, they take money. So they had a few, a few different ideas. Um, I'm remembering from chapter 22, at one point they decided to start a store. So we can raise some funds that way. Let's listen to a little quote here from the book about that effort with the store in Kirtland. With the saints in Missouri needing a new place to settle, Joseph felt even more pressure to raise money to buy lands. He decided to open a church store near Kirtland and borrowed more money to purchase goods to sell there. The store had some success, but many saints took advantage of Joseph's kindness and trust, knowing he would not refuse them credit at the store. Several of them also insisted on trading for what they needed, making it difficult to turn a cash profit on the goods. This is really a good insight into one of the things Joseph Smith was up against, was his head and his heart, and so often his heart won. He was just a tremendously compassionate person. And so you can see what a difficult position you'd be in as the prophet, but also as someone managing a store trying to to make that call and somebody needed something and asked hard for to it. turn a he profit when over. you're willing to to help um, and provide credit basically um, uh, and, and can't bear to turn away someone in need so was he able to delegate that responsibility of controlling the store or was that something that he continued to grapple with he continued to grapple with it and then he opens a store again later in Nauvoo so <laughs> I think there was something about being at the center of the community mm-hmm. as you are in a store that appealed to him and knowing the, the needs of people, the way you get sure. an insight when you're running a store. So also in uh, chapter 22, we, we learn the story about what becomes Doctrine's Covenant section 111. You can learn about the trip to Salem. It wasn't necessarily successful from the financial standpoint, but we did receive revelation from the Lord about there are more treasures than one in in the city of Salem. Let's move on into chapter 23, which is really kind of the meat of our discussion today. We we hear this thing called the Kirtland Safety Society. What what is that? Most of our listeners may never have even heard of this bank that was started by the church. It, and it was a 
a bank, but it was a precursor to a bank. They thought, well, this is another way we can print our own currency, which was something people were doing in the U.S. at the time. And we can try to build up the local economy and at the same time uh, earn some interest through this venture that we can put into the coffers of the church so that we can... Joseph felt God telling him to buy more land, buy more land, and he didn't have the money to buy the land. So this was an effort to have money to improve the financial well-being of the saints and to be able to, to accomplish what he felt God was telling him to do. So some of the 12 went to fill out the paperwork from a federal perspective to make sure everything was being done on the up and up. And meanwhile, Joseph met with uh, people throughout town trying to um, get them to invest in the safety society. They were pretty confident this was a standard sort of thing that you would do. They, I remember the, the story of that they sent some people off to get printing plates. So it was, yeah, this is going to work out. We're going to get the paperwork. But the state doesn't grant them the license that they needed to be a formal bank. Is that right? That's right. And one of the reasons the state doesn't grant them the license is because of nationally, some of these small banks are starting to fail. This is the beginning, soon plunging into a, a tremendous national financial crisis. So the timing of the safety society was really bad. Yeah. And these national pressures, uh, they entered Kirtland and, and pretty soon the safety society was failing. It would be sort of like, you know, really getting big in the stock market right before the Great Depression. That's, that's <laughs> kind of what was happening, right? We we have the financial panic of 1837 coming around the corner, and they don't know that yet. But they're plunging in here uh, with this new society. And some of them are really putting, especially Joseph Smith, who invested thousands of dollars, much of his personal money went into this safety society, but he certainly wasn't the only one. A lot of people felt like this is what God wanted them to do. Joseph Smith was confident that this is what God wanted them to do. And so they sacrificed and put their money into it. Then it didn't work out. What happened? I mean, it, it wasn't a swimming success. Is that what you're telling me? It wasn't a swimming success <laughs> in, in part because banks were failing around the country, but also in part because a man named Grandison Newell resented the saints was worried about them, hated Joseph Smith, and he started to figure out what he could do personally to make the bank fail. Oh, no. And he was savvy, and his, his efforts worked. So a lot of people, even who um, initially really believed in the Safety Society, even members of the 12, started withdrawing their support from the Safety Society. And it takes everybody sticking with it to make a go of it. So Joseph Smith, bless his heart, he, he never abandoned it. He he kept his funds in there, but uh, but the others did not. Let, let's listen to another little quote here from the book about Grandison Newell, who has become one of one of my new favorite villains of our story. Soon after the Safety Society opened for business, a man named Grandison Newell began hoarding banknotes. A longtime resident of a nearby town, Grandison hated Joseph and the saints. He had enjoyed some prominence in the county until the saints arrived, and now he often looked for ways, legal or otherwise, to harass them. When you were telling us about the Kirtland Safety Society, I, I sort of was thinking about It's a Wonderful Life. You know, remember that movie? 
Sarah, come on, you've seen yes, that movie. I have seen that movie every year at Christmas. Right? Exactly. And what are the, you know, he always says, you know, your money isn't here. Your money's in the, the house and the farm. Well, that's kind of what's happening in Kirtland a little bit. Yeah. And Grandison Newell is worse than Mr. Potter. Isn't it? Was that his name from the story? So he's hoarding these notes. He's trying to sink the bank. Yeah. He's going to put them under. So Joseph and Sydney, they leave town. And even some of Joseph's supporters, are, like you said, not very happy. Yeah. What happened to Parley Pratt? Parley Pratt was, and, and I'm descended from him, so I really perk up when he, <laughs> when he messes up. Well, tell us, tell us about what he did or what he said. He became really disillusioned. He, he withdrew his support from the Safety Society, and he wrote this really angry letter blaming Joseph, accusing him of, of trying to manipulate the, there's a quote in the book where he says the whole scene of speculation in which we have been engaged is of the devil. He's re- and, and this letter gets distributed throughout town. Everybody reads it. Joseph Smith reads it. Parley uh, tries to leave. He, he's really uh, breaking with the church. Now, what, what is Parley's calling at this time? He's an apostle. He's an apostle of the church. I mean, that that is so hard for us today to kind of imagine an apostle writing an angry public letter to the prophet of the church. Accusing he, him of falling. It, and yeah. he, even in the temple, they're having a meeting in the temple and, and Parley calls Joseph out. It's, it's hard for me to imagine how stressful it was when people would come to the temple to have meetings where they discuss spiritual things and they discuss temporal things and these angry people including sometimes it was apostles sometimes it was just other church members sometimes it was member people who weren't members of the church would sit in the back and heckle or else they would just stand at the pulpit or they'd try to intimidate whoever was speaking and and sit up there behind them the contention that was present everywhere but even at church meetings that what a rough time everyone very very difficult so were any and everybody invited to these church meetings or into the temple why was there such contention even among members who were trying to be righteous that's a good point that you bring up that this this temple is not the temple we think of today not something that you have a recommend to enter but it was an open forum and oh, some interesting some meetings were closed but some were just public meetings that people wow. could attend so it's kind of I maybe analogous to us going to sacrament meeting, like visitors welcome, you know? Yeah. And there they are. And there's a, there's one particular scene in the book that I think will surprise many members. And this is this scene with Joseph senior. Um, can you relate that story to us and just help our listeners understand what's going on? So Joseph Smith is gone. Joseph Smith Jr. has left town. He's afraid for his own safety. He's afraid he's going to be arrested. But that doesn't give people more confidence in him or in what's going on. So in his absence, Joseph Smith Sr. Uh, gives, gives a talk in the temple. And as he's doing that, one, one man runs up and starts to try to pull him down. And suddenly other men jump up with knives drawn. His, uh, Joseph Sr.'s son, William, sees his father being ab- abused and runs up to save him. And, and somebody pulls a sword and points it at his throat and says, stop right there or oh I'll goodness. run you through. 
an incredible explosion of violence. So then people, they see this and what, what would you do? They, they start running. Definitely. <laughs> it even says they that there's people the like jumping out windows. Jumping like they just, out they just windows. want to get out. Yeah. It's, it's scary. Yeah. It's, it's, can you imagine? Tensions are high and there are weapons and you, you want to get out of there. That is so frightening. <laughs> Eventually things calm down enough that the crowd is dissipated and so forth. Let's come back to, uh, to Parley Pratt just for a moment. Parley leaves town, right? Mm-hmm. He's kind of out of there and he's on the road and he meets somebody coming the other direction from Missouri. He meets Thomas Marsh, David Patton and William Smith coming, uh, coming from Missouri to visit Kirtland and Parley had sold some land. Most of the saints wealth was in land and the land was being devalued. Um, And these men see him. They're his brothers in the quorum of the 12 and they say, what are, what are you thinking? Why are you denying all that you know is true and the way you're behaving right now? And they convince him to go back. And, and by the time he's back there, he's really admitting, I was unfair. I misrepresented what Joseph Smith was doing. Um, I'm sorry. It seems as though, I mean, Parley isn't the only prominent member of the church or leader of the church to um, leave the church or, or some were even excommunicated. Um, but it seems that when they return, when they are repentant and humble and admit their mistakes, it seems that both Joseph Smith and, of course, the Lord forgive them and allow them to come back into the church. I think that's so incredible and so encouraging for anybody else who feels that they uh, have made a mistake to know that there's forgiveness like that. I love that, Sarah. I think. Oftentimes, when we are in need of correction, or we know that others are, I can just speak for myself, I don't know that I'm as as quick to forgive as I see the Prophet Joseph do. And even Parley, I don't know if I'm as quick to forgive myself and to say, that was a moment of anger, and I'm done with that, and I'm coming back. Full steam ahead, I'm back on the Lord's team, you know? I just think there's something maybe we could all learn from that attitude of forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. I was struck by the humility necessary as part of that component on on Joseph Smith's part to immediately, Parley's crying saying, I'm sorry, to immediately embrace him and say it's okay when that letter did a lot of damage, but also humility on Parley P. Pratt's side. In Kirtland, there's another part of this story that again, I think many of our listeners will not be familiar with, and that is a woman by the name of Fanny Alger. Can you tell us, um, you know, just in summary, what, what do we know about Fanny Alger and Joseph Smith's relationship with her as the historical record can reveal to us? We don't know a lot, but there are enough sources suggesting that that Fanny Alger uh, married Joseph Smith that we think she was probably the first plural wife that he took. This was a couple of years after he was first told to um, practice plural marriage. And Fanny, she and her family were members of the church. And Joseph Smith approached her family and, and, and said, I would like to invite Fanny to be a plural wife and, and, asked that she pray and receive a confirmation on her own that this was uh, something that she wanted to do. And 
from what we can tell, she did. Her uncle performed the ceremony. And uh, then sometime later that year, the marriage might have lasted only a few months. The, the family left to go to Missouri. Fanny didn't talk about the experience. Her parents didn't talk about the experience. And Joseph didn't. So we, we really don't know anything about the details of what it meant to them to be married. We just know that this was something that was performed. Fanny's parents later, they stayed with the saints and they went to Utah and they were lifelong members of the church. Fanny herself didn't journey to Utah. She uh, fell in love, got married, had children, spent a lifetime with um, this man. And then they ended up, you know, dying within a few years of each other and she's buried next to him. So where do we get this information about Fanny from? What sort of documentation do we have on this? I, I think that's a great question that a lot of our listeners will want to know because I think this will be an unfamiliar. And I would just invite them to go to saints.lds.org where there is a topic specifically about uh, Fanny Alger. And in that topic, there's a bibliography. And you can see the sources that we used in Saints. Um, we have the, the journal entries. Um, the documents that survive, limited as as though they be, you can check them all out there. And if you're interested in learning more, I just invite you to to check that out. And in addition, you may also be familiar with the gospel topic essay on plural marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. And I just in, invite our listeners that are curious and want to know more to read the gospel topic essay as well, which is an excellent source of the original um to find the original sources through the footnotes in that uh, gospel topic essay. This is a quote from, from saints concerning this marriage to Fanny Alger. Following the Lord's command, Joseph proposed marriage to Fanny with the help of Levi and the approval of her parents. Fanny accepted Joseph's teachings and his proposal, and her uncle performed the ceremony. Since the time had not come to teach plural marriage in the church, Joseph and Fanny kept their marriage private, as the angel had instructed. But rumors spread among some people in Kirtland. By the fall of 1836, Fanny had moved away. I want to mention that uh, this is another wedge in the relationship between Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith. These two men who had seen such miracles together, who had been worked together in the translation of the Book of Mormon, who had had the priesthood restored to them. All of these tensions are driving them apart. And hearing that Joseph Smith had taken on an additional wife uh, was another real wedge, a real concern to Oliver Cowdery. It's difficult for us to imagine, you know, how real that was for him. But Oliver really is very frustrated. And their friendship, it's I mean, they were brothers, you know, that, like you say, they were in all these things together. And now that relationship's kind of falling apart between Joseph and Oliver. There's another difficult part in this story. Hiram Smith's wife, Jerusha, passes away and he, he marries a person that's going to become really important in church history. Do you remember who she is? And can you tell us about her a little bit? Yeah. So Mary Fielding had joined the church in Canada. Parley P. Pratt had taught her brother and her sister and her, and then she'd come to Kirtland. She was full of faith and enthusiasm and hope, and uh, she was in her 30s, had never been married, 
and and people could see meeting her what a good solid woman she was. Well, Hiram has just been made a member of the first presidency of the church, and he has six young children. His wife Jerusha died just a few days after the birth of their sixth child. So you can imagine how overwhelmed and devastated he is. And Joseph says to him, I think you should marry Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, brother. Yeah. And it strikes him as a good idea. And he proposes and she gladly accepts bringing, you know, taking on six children. Uh, But she does it. She does it with aplomb. Some of us have this picture in our minds. There's a painting, a famous church history painting, and it's Mary Fielding Smith with her cattle and she's bringing her wagon into the valley, right? Now I know who she is a little bit better. This, this is a woman who in her thirties took on a family and she's a strong lady. There's no keeping her down, but I love how this story helped me understand who she was a little bit more. And sometimes we think of the child she has with Hiram, Joseph F. Smith as an only child. You know, he was not an only child. He had right. these six older siblings. It's a, it's an amazing part of the story. So there are also things happening in England at this time. Can you tell us a little bit about that the story going on there? So glad, glad you mentioned that, Sarah, because when you're talking about all of this financial stress and discord, you can see feeling like everything is bad. What are we even doing here? But then you think about the miracles that were taking place in England Uh, Missionaries there uh, were having tremendous success. They first landed in Preston, England, and they found people who were just ready to embrace the gospel. And a lot of the members, the new members, were young people, working class people who who needed some hope in their lives and were uh, religiously attuned. And the, the the church teachings just really had what they needed. And so those new members, it was growing so quickly. A lot of them, when they were able to, came and started to gather with the saints, which in addition to being a really good thing, this infusion of people with bright hope and faith also put more financial stress on the saints. And, And the neighbors who were suspicious of these people these populations getting bigger and bigger then would see more people just streaming in from another country and they weren't wealthy people with means. And so it all, it also increased the strength, but it's, it's useful to think about the spiritual communion people were having in England, but also still in Kirtland and in far West Missouri uh, at the same time that there were these tremendous challenges. It, it is nice to remember there's sort of some happy things going on because at the end of this chapters or these chapters I sort of left with this feeling of you know Joseph and Oliver kind of on the outs at at the end of this chapter uh, rather chapter 25 Joseph and Sydney kind of right out of town cover of darkness because people are so angry it's a kind of a difficult moment but uh, they're going to move on to Zion and we're going to follow up with the story as they arrive in Zion and and try to build Zion in Missouri. Thank you so much, Kate Holbrook, for being here with us today. And uh, also, Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, our listeners, for listening in today. And as always, 
You can learn more about Saints by going to saints.lds.org, where you can watch the latest videos, read the topics, and follow the chapters that we've discussed today. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on lds.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days. Thank you.